This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Johnny, I know you're really excited about this interview with Dr. Warren Farrell. I had picked up his book, The Boy Crisis, and it was phenomenal. And the data and research that went into it certainly paints a story that we all need to pay attention to. Pretty eye-opening. Hey, this is The Art of Charm. A podcast dedicated to bringing you actionable tips and strategies on how to boost your emotional intelligence, connect socially, and master conversation. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Today we're airing part two of our Parenthood series, a series where we talk about parts of parenthood that frankly aren't talked about in our culture openly. Last month, we focused on motherhood with Dr. Alexandra Sachs, who unpacked a fascinating term called matrescence, which turned our idea of motherhood on its head a little. And to hear it, head on over to episode 760 to check it out. On the hills of Father's Day, we are, of course, taking a look at fatherhood. And our guest is Dr. Warren Farrell, the author of several books, including Why Men Are the Way They Are and The Myth of Male Power. And of course, most recently, The Boy Crisis. His background is in political and social science with a focus on couples communication and fatherhood. And Johnny, you've been wanting to get Warren on the show for a while. How did you get turned on to Warren's material? Well, in this space, a lot of what we hear about the young men that come through is quite alarming. And I wanted to get some more research and understand our clients better. And Warren's book certainly helped me with that. Well, I'm eager to learn what the boy crisis is and how fatherhood has changed since we were kids. Because it has, and correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, Warren has been studying this change. He certainly has. And as we know, everything has changed since we were young because of the technology involved. And certainly that technology is going to play a role in fatherhood as well. Next week, we have a reminder is our Q&A episode with us and Michael Harold, one of our coaches here at The Art of Charm. If you have questions, send them over. It's easy. Go to theartofcharm.com slash questions, or you can hit us up on Instagram at The Art of Charm. Obviously, the title, The Boy Crisis, is shocking on its face. What made you decide to sit down and, and write about such an important issue? Well, I was going around the world sort of speaking on my other books on book tours, and um, like people and a teacher in Japan, I remember once came up to me and she said, 
You know, uh, Dr. Farrell, you know, we have more problems with boys in our class in schools and, you know, all over Japan, we're having problems with the boys more than the girls. Um, and then I started to see that in uh, all 56 developed nations, um, boys were falling behind girls on um, every single academic subject, especially reading and writing, which are the two biggest predictors of success. And so I said, developed nations, what do developed nations have in common? And I realized that they had in common, they had enough mastery over survival that they could be more, give more permission for two things. One is for divorce, and the other one is for children to be raised by single moms if they, uh, if a single mom chose to do so. And so I started looking within those two groups of populations and those two demographics, the boys that were having the problems were the ones that were um, children of divorce who had minimal or no contact with their dads. Um, and so that I saw that the boy crisis resides where dads do not reside. This seemed sad, but I also know, uh, you know, I, I have a PhD in political science and I knew a lot about history. And so I knew that the Moynihan Report in 1965 um, had found that, you know, when they studied inner city crime and uh, why children were having so, so many children were in prison, et cetera, they thought it was going to be about race and blacks, but they found that it was not quite about race and blacks. It was among blacks that there was 25% of the children growing up in African-American families did not have their dads. Well, that was 25% children growing up in fatherless communities and fatherless homes in 1965. Today, in Caucasian homes, 32% of children are growing up with their, without their dads. And in African-American homes, 75% are growing up without their dads. So you can get some, and, and it's within these demographics of dad-deprived children uh, that the problems are occurring. Uh, now, I began to look at, you know, when I wrote The Boy Crisis, I researched 10 major causes of the boy crisis. And I was, you know, planning my initial book, the book, to be based on these 10 causes. But increasingly, I saw that the that the core hub cause uh, was the dad deprivation and then other causes like um, there being a few male teachers in schools, um, they were very, those were important causes, but they were secondary. Environmental causes were secondary. Um, mental health causes were, uh, were outgrowths of the dad deprivation. They weren't the cause that the cause was more, the hub of the problem was in the dad deprivation. Now you talk about the purpose void in the book. And I found that to be so remarkable in a number of ways, and we'll get into that. But what do you mean by the purpose void? Historically, boys have had two senses of purpose. Uh, one was to, they, they, were, they, they were given social bribes to be called heroes, uh, to be willing to be disposable in war. And so if you were, you know, if your son was, um, you know, a nice, strong guy, you maybe encouraged him to become a Marine to fight against the Nazis in World War II. And, you know, and then if he, even if he died, you didn't want him to die. But if he did die, you know, he, he knew he'd be considered a hero. Um, the second group, uh, the second sense of purpose was to be the sole breadwinner. You had to learn, you know, and I certainly learned this when I was a kid. I, I was good as a writer when I was in, in, in high school and my father made it really clear to me. Uh, you know, like Warren, yes, you're a good writer, but do not, uh, you can't become a writer because 
Um, you, only about 1% of writers find a publisher. Um, most people, um, and if you can't find a publisher, you're not going to find a wife. Um, and you know, so I, I said, well, what's the proof of that? And he said, well, look at Zelda Fitzgerald. You know, she, <laughs> she loved F. Scott Fitzgerald, but she made it real clear um, to F. Scott Fitzgerald that until you have your first best-selling book, we don't get married. And so they, um, and so there were enough hints of that that made me realize that you know, that I had to become, I had to not do what I wanted to do. I had not I couldn't do what my passion was because if my passion was to be a writer or for other guys, a musician or an artist, uh, that the that the word starving artist um, was was around for for a reason. So that was really clear to me. And so boys and men, we got we got the second uh, the second signal, which is if you want to be eligible as a dad, you have to find you have to do something that's going to pay, that's going to have predictable dependable income. So not because you love it, but because that's what it will take to support uh, to attract a woman who wants to have children and to support the wife and children if she decides that she wants to be uh, full-time involved with the children or part-time involved with the children. So if they're driving it, if you call it an Uber, the chances are fairly good that about um, 90% of the Uber drivers are male. Um, they're not doing this because it's about power. They're doing this to be able to either uh, er to earn enough money to do the things that they need to do in their life. And something that just struck me culturally to any of the first world nations there was a specific term two fathers who basically worked themselves to death yes yes absolutely there's in japan um there is um uh, the the death from overwork the name for that is karoshi k a r o s h i so the 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 wisdom of the the youth in japan is that the normal pathway of becoming a man to try to get to the top of the ladder is a way of committing suicide or doing death from overwork. And so that's, you know, the, and that's one of the reasons that, that many of the young people are not motivated because, you know, they're, um, they, 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 they know that that traditional pathway to being a man was that, that men have learned to define power as feeling obligated to earn money that someone else spends while they die sooner. And the young Japanese males are saying, no way, I'm out of that. That's not a ball game I want to play. And they recognize that that is not about power. But um, I want to go back to something that you asked about, about the purpose uh, void. The, the, I was mentioning two senses of purpose that boys traditionally had, which was the uh, warrior or sole breadwinner. Today, we have more, fewer men that are needed in war, and we have fewer men that need to be sole breadwinners because women are helping to share that burden. Um, and so the, uh, but we have, what we have um, is so therefore a purpose void for many men. And the purpose void is actually a wonderful thing if you have a father and a mother that can help guide you to discovering your sense of purpose and then help you to have the discipline to achieve that sense of purpose. But when there is both a purpose void and a dad void, that the boy does not get well guided usually to have that sense of purpose. Moms often are very good at helping the boy discover their, their talents, but what is missing often without dad style parenting added to mom style parenting is the discipline. Dads are far more likely to do boundary enforcement Boundary enforcement um, encourages postponed gratification. 
Postponed gratification gives boys the discipline to be able to fulfill their dreams. If a boy has a lot of dreams or a girl has a lot of dreams, but they don't have the discipline to fulfill it, each time they go about trying to get their dreams, he wants to be an actor, he wants to be a basketball player, he wants to be the you know, top-notch in school valedictorian, he continues without the discipline, he continues to fail. After a while, he becomes afraid to dream. So he notices that he's not getting um, good feedback from his um, teachers, from his uh, parents are not proud of him in the way they are maybe of his sister or some kid down the block. And the boy feels a bit ashamed. When it comes to boy-girl time, the boy starts feeling like, gee, you know, the girls are not dating, uh, they're, they're dating all the winners and, you know, the football players, the student body pres presidents and so on. They're not dating the losers like me. Um, so they, he can't get any satisfaction sexually. So he begins to withdraw into porn um, because porn is access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection at a price he could afford. And so he starts. But the problem with porn, aside from the moral issues, is that he becomes addicted um, um, his dopamine only becomes stimulated by increasing amount of, amounts of doses of more risky behavior with females. And so then he gets to the actual first real life woman and he begins to find that that real life woman is feeling treated like an object because she is. And so she withdraws from him. He feels rejected, returns to porn, and the whole cycle um, continues. And in the meantime, the anger that it festers in this boy, if he's a single mom boy, he's usually sensitive. And he then becomes very sensitive to being rejected and, and very angry that girls are not interested in sensitive boys. They're interested in the performers and the winners, uh, not the sensitive boys who are the losers um, from many girls' perspectives. And so, um, and so these types of things create this uh, festering hostility. Two things you, you brought up there. One, you know, this role of the risk taker, the warrior, and even the breadwinner is is dying. It's it's evaporating. It's not something that is available to us as society advances with automation. There's less and less risk out there in the workforce. And on top of it, you're seeing pay become more and more equitable. And there are relationships where oftentimes the male is not the sole breadwinner, let alone the the one who is bringing home the most money. So that's creating this void. And then the other thing uh, I want to touch on is, and obviously we're here in Hollywood, so you know Hollywood is not doing us a service either in their portrayal of the hopeless, hapless dad who doesn't really have a role other than being the bumbling idiot. And obviously, you know that's carrying on in, in our minds as okay, that's the role that a dad has, which clearly is not serving the boys or the the girls that they're raising. Yes, this this is a perfect lose lose situation. Children that have father involvement um, are far more, far less likely to be obese. They're far less likely to have ADHD. They're far less likely to do worse in um, all the all, every single academic area. Uh, they're far less likely to be depressed, commit suicide. Uh, the suicide rate of boys and girls at the age of nine um, is equal. But between 10 and 14, the suicide rate of boys is twice that of girls. Between 15 and 19, four times that of girls. Between 20 and 25, uh, four and a half times to five times that of girls. Um, and so we are, and, and I could go on and on with the other uh, variables as well. I, uh, the mass shooters, 90% likely to be dad-deprived boys. Um, the prisoners, 93% um, males, 
But of that 93% males, more than 90% are dad deprived. Uh, the ISIS recruits, studies of both male and female ISIS recruits find that both the males and the smaller percentage of females are dad deprived. And so, you know, there's the, the amount of things that happen when a boy uh, or girl is dad deprived are enormous. Girls suffer in most of these areas too, but girls have two, two or three things that boys do not have. They have a same sex role model and they have much more societal permission to ask for help to, to cry, to express feelings that boys do not have. The senses of purpose that boys had in the past was training to be a hero by being disposable. Well, that created heroic intelligence, Hero, but not heroic intelligence was preparation for a short life. Health intelligence is preparation for a long life, preparation to share your feelings, say what's bothering you, not do it often, Take, taking the best of masculinity and femininity, you learn to tough it out with as the, the masculine part of you, but you also learn that when the going gets tough, the tough get going sometimes, and other times when the going gets tough, the tough get going to a therapist, other times. And you learn that right balance. That's the, that's the balance that keeps you alive, functional, and successful uh, the most. But we haven't taught boys emotional skills because what we've depended upon boys in the past for is to be willing to provide money, do what they needed to do to tough it out, or to be willing to die and be disposable. And so those things have created heroic intelligence, not the emotional intelligence and the physical health intelligence that are that will be needed and desired by girls and women in the future, because the more money women make, the more they're going to want emotional intelligence from men, in addition to about equal amounts or greater amounts of money. And that's what we were talking about before we mm -hmm. kicked this off. You know, for the last 12 years, we've been working mostly with male clients. We just opened our doors to women. And we found that for many of our clients, the first time they realize they're lacking in this emotional intelligence is when they're dating and when they're trying to connect with the opposite sex. And now this emotional intelligence is just going to become more and more in demand. Yes. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One question that sort of popped into our mind as we were prepping for the show that's always so fascinating. And, you know, obviously we live in California and, and gun laws are very strict here. And without getting into the politics of gun laws, every time we talk about these mass shootings, you know, it seems like the media focuses on the weapon of choice and does not focus on the perpetrator and what led to that place that he would choose to make that decision. And oftentimes when we talk about the perpetrator, it's he's psychotic, he's a sociopath, he has all these mental illness. Why is it that we're not confronting the root of the issue here that you've been on the forefront? And, and why is the media not paying attention to this? Yes, I think it is so much easier to sort of look at the fact that, you know, that the, that the boy um, has a mental illness. Well, duh, you know, if you, if you, you know, like, that's like, you know, that's taught, you know, it's um, redundant. You know, if, if, a, if a person, you know, kills people, they're going to have a mental illness. That's, that's what that's about. Uh, it's just one manifestation of it. Um, if, you know, if we wanted to stop mass shootings, we would do two things. One is the we would uh, because more than ninety percent of the mass shooters are dad deprived. We would focus on getting dads involved. If you look at the mass shooters, you know we often say it's about guns, it's about family violence, it's about um, violence on TV or in the media. Uh, well, women have the same access to the same guns, the same access to the same family values, the same access to the same TV, the same access to everything else. They live in the same home, but women are not doing the shootings. Boys are. And it's not all boys that are doing the shootings, obviously. It is more more than 90% of the time dad-deprived boys. There's two easy solutions to about 99% of the mass shootings. One is dads in, the other is guns out. You want to you want, yeah. and that accounts for almost all the mass shootings. In Australia, there's practically there used to be about as many mass shootings per capita as there were in the United that there as there was in the United States. They got guns out to a large degree, and um, nothing else changed. But they almost eliminated the mass shootings in the United States. Um, it's it, it, we know now that the mass shootings are among boys who are dad deprived, and there is much more, much easier access to guns than there is in any other place in the world. And we have more mass shootings than any other place in the world. Um, I feel for those two reasons. And so um, the solution is right in front of us. Yeah, it seems like a massive blind spot that we have culturally, politically, right now to not pay attention to that. Yes, and you know, boys who don't have their testosterone can uh, channeled constructively, uh, usually by a dad and mom together, will almost invariably channel their testosterone destructively. One of the dynamics between moms and dads is roughhousing. Um, dads will tend to sort of take the three kids and throw them on the couch, and the game is okay. The three of you, um, your job is to jump onto my back and turn me over and pin me down um, in a wrestling match before I pin the three of you down together. Okay, yeah, we got it, Dad, we got it. But Mom is saying to herself, "Oh, okay, now, now be good. The kids are having fun. Um, you don't want to interfere. You don't want to be. You know, you want your dad to get 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 involved, but she's also fearing that sooner or later." There's going to be somebody crying or somebody going to get hurt. 
well, she's only about 99.9% likely to be right. <laughs> and um, yeah. sooner or later, somebody gets hurt and it's crying. And so now mom's thinking to herself, all right, now dad's going to learn his lesson. He won't do this roughhousing anymore. Um, but dad doesn't learn his lesson. He says to the children, uh, you know, um, Jimmy or Jane, you can't stick your elbow in your sister's eye um, in order to win at roughhousing. <laughs> You've got to, you know, do it. You can use leverage. You can fake the person out. Uh, you can, you can, you can do this and that, but not this. Uh, okay, dad, okay, we got it. Uh, okay, now go back and try again. Um, and so the kids go back and um, they, uh, but they violate the, the, in what they call, what psychologists call um, the uh, getting emotional intelligence under fire. They all want to agree with what dad is, uh, um, is suggesting or requiring. But when they get excited, they forget about their sisters and, and brothers needs and they just push and, and get to, to what they want to do. So then dad stops if he's a good dad and says, okay, um, I warned you. Now there's no more roughhousing. Oh, we forgot dad. We forgot. Nope. No more roughhousing until tomorrow night. Now, the, so mom is looking at this and going, wait a minute. You didn't learn the lesson. The kids cried. Then they, you told them what to do. Then they didn't get it again. And you're still roughhousing and promising more tomorrow night. What dad doesn't explain is that tomorrow night is where, what it's all about. Tomorrow night, he says the same thing. And if the children violate the, the agreement, there's no roughhousing tomorrow night. But usually the children tomorrow night don't violate the agreement because the children have learned that when they don't consider their sisters or brothers' needs, they don't get their needs met. They don't get to do what they want to do. They lose what they want. So now the studies of the of children roughhousing with dads show children are more likely to be empathetic. Well, I've never heard a dad say to a mom, um, you know, I, I'd like you to let me roughhouse because this will teach the children empathy. And if he did, it's like, what? Empathy seems pretty counterintuitive to roughhousing. But you can see it's not the roughhousing per se that creates the empathy. It's the roughhousing combined with the boundary enforcement and the requirement that there will be no more roughhousing if you don't think of somebody besides yourself. The same with the assertiveness versus aggressiveness. The second or third time around, the kid may say, well, you know, I, I didn't push him or, or her. And then dad is able to say, that's what pushing is. That's to, that's where the assertiveness became aggressiveness. Not in those words, but you can't push that way, that hard, that type of thing. Well, mom can say that intellectually a hundred times. Dad could say it intellectually a hundred times, but the child doesn't learn it until she or he experiences it. That's what teaches the difference between being assertive and aggressive. So now we have the data to show that children who roughhouse form a bond with their dad the bond allows the dad to set the boundaries and enforce the boundaries without there being resentment because that bond is so strong. Kids know that they're going to go back to the roller coaster and they also um, and, and get the boundaries enforced and they're going to have a lot of fun. So they want to play, they want to play the game with dad. This is just one example of nine different styles that dads have versus moms have and what I'm encouraging dads to do. I'm not blaming dads for not sharing this with moms. I don't know of any parenting magazine that explains this. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm not blaming moms either because moms can't hear what dads don't say. Well, this 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 one piece with the roughhousing and, and how it is creating this bond and building this respect between the father and the children. 
look at the building blocks that this puts together for now. Now the child goes to school and they're in the schoolyard and now they're trying to put together diplomacy in order to put some games together, to play some football, to play some soccer. And with those skills, they're able to put teams together, set the rules, have this game. And now these children are forming these bonds on their own. And now they feel safe because they're, they have the acceptance and the approval and the attention of their peers. And now they're feeling good. We were just talking about this of diplomacy and this leadership and this emotional intelligence. And they're not even finding out about this. Sometimes it comes to dating. Sometimes it's even later to when they're in finally in a position at work and in a career on the top of a team and they're unable to put it together. Lost. And the other part that we were laughing about, you know, both of us, Grew up uh, with our dads, single dad for me, dad divorced, mom was out of the picture, she was abusive. And, you know, Johnny chose to live with his dad after divorce. And outside of the that angle, we also developed this resilience, right? This mm-hmm. grit that dad enforces. And I always felt that, you know, if there was a boo-boo, if I went to any of the women in my household, I would be treated in a much different manner yes. than if I had a boo-boo with dad. And, you know, that style of parenting is often frowned upon, right? Dads get yelled at for these behaviors saying, what's your problem? Why are you letting them beat up on each other, hurt each other, and not understand the underlying uh, importance of these activities to build the grit, resilience, and diplomacy and leadership that it takes to excel in your career? So now we're, we're raising children who are getting to a place of they're feeling lost. The parents are exasperated. And often they don't share in the dynamic at all. Uh, They're getting upset with each other. And we talked about violence. We're also seeing at the other end with the drug epidemic and the opioid crisis and Mm -hmm. and children just withdrawing from society and not having any purpose or meaning in their life. You're absolutely right. And if you take it right back to what you were talking about, John and AJ, about the building blocks, the building blocks that we just described with the the um, rough housing, you take those building blocks to school, and you know who are the kids going to like more at school? The person who shows some empathy, the person who knows the difference between being assertive versus aggressive, or the one that is not empathetic, that is self centered, that it does that is aggressive, and of course the it's a rhetorical question. Children want children will associate with children that are more empathetic, and that ch- children that are uh, know the difference between being assertive versus aggressive, and so th- therefore those children end up having more friends. Children with more friends end up with better social skills, emotional skills, and and, and there's a whole cycle of you know building on that friendship. But they're much more likely to be less depressed. They're more likely to sort of do, uh, feel good about themselves, succeed in school, have the energy to complete things if they have the postponed gratification as well. And so you have a much happier child. The withdrawal, the anger, the anger, the hood over the head, the, um, you know, the, the taking of drugs, the being able to be seduced into doing something destructive. Um, and so we, we, as I said before, the Moynihan report, we saw this, the Coleman report, we saw this over and over again. We have seen this effects of dad deprivation and yet no one is paying attention uh warren the well the statistics the data the research it's in and and there's a problem and as we move forward with the technology that we have and with everything that we know and the and the work that you've done what have you seen and where that we can do to to help this before we get there i just wanted to to tackle because we 
we lightly touched on this with the, the porn problem that you were talking about earlier, but this is not just porn. We're looking at this dopamine system yes. that is being manipulated, and a lot of us aren't even aware of it. It's invisibly happening with these devices in our pocket and all of these distractions that are wiring our brains for behavior that is not healthy. And you talk about this in the book, that this inhibited, this inhibited dopamine function in the brain leads to a cascade of issues for, for boys and girls. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that because I know it's been a, something that Johnny and I have talked about a lot on the on show, the show yeah. and I don't think enough people realize it. Absolutely. John Gray, who um, is the author of the book, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, um, he did five chapters in the Boy Crisis book on ADHD and how to prevent it. And he's, um, and without using drugs, uh, the drugs are just, you know, it's like, they're like crutches that, um, that many of the drugs are very similar to cocaine and other, um, really negative drugs that, that will solve the problem for a while. Um, but will increase the problem. And, um, af after a while with the, you know, for the reasons you just mentioned, um, uh, what can be done though, is, uh, you know, five chapters worth of solutions to this, uh, mostly ideally preventive solutions, but also you can reverse. ADHD and um, exercise is the number one way of reversing ADHD. But that doesn't mean suggesting to your children that they exercise. It means requiring your children to exercise some type of team sport, learn how to interact with other children, get your body physically moving. Well, for girls, that's important. For boys, that's even more important because boys' brains are more receptive. They're, they're more, um, they're more settled down. They're more cooperative when they have physical activity. Um, the other thing that's so important uh, for the, the correct dopamine balance is family dinner nights. We've all heard that family, the children that do better are ones that have a lot of family dinner nights. But I've seen that there's a refinement of that. Uh, there are family dinner nights and there's also family dinner nightmares. And so as I began to start, <laughs> as I began to start interviewing families, I began to see that there's about five things that families do that lead to family dinner nights being extremely constructive. And if they're not done, they can become extremely destructive. And so one of those, for example, is knowing how to make sure that there are no electronics at the table. Um, some parents come up to me and say, you know, Dr. Farrell, you know, my children, they always want electronics at the table. Um, you know, I don't know how to get rid of them. Well, I know something immediately when the, the parent says that, which is that the parent is in charge of the children, not the, uh, that the children are in charge of the parent, not that the parent is in charge of the children. We're laughing just thinking about that. If we told our dads, no, the iPad stays at the oh, dinner table. There's no way. <laughs> Talk about a boundary. Well, to even to even go along with that, my dad had this thing in the, and I was laughing about this, Warren, because when in the, during summer vacation, my dad didn't care where I was, what I was doing, as long as I was out and skateboarding, he was fine. But if he came home and I was in playing video games in front, of, it was it, he would find chores for me to do. So I learned very quickly that let's find yeah, some where games. the reward <laughs> is. It's not in front <laughs> of the computer. Yeah. So it was, and that was how he went about making sure that I was outside playing and not behind the, uh, uh, the computer screen. My dad hid the Sega Genesis. Yeah. I was all excited. I <laughs> invited my friends over. I had the Mortal Kombat code so I could see all the blood and violence. And I go into my bedroom with my buddies and there's no Sega. And I'm like, what the hell? And my dad's like, no, you've been playing this too much. Get outside, grab outside. a basketball, do something. But I find that 
you know, parents right now are, are so protective of their children being injured and, and getting mm-hmm. into this rough housing and going outdoors is is almost anathema to yeah. being a parent these days. It's like, no, we want to keep our kids close and monitored. Save. We need this device on them so I know where they are. And it's just fostering this dopamine dysfunction that we're talking about. There is this information, this this way of thinking about what I call checks and balance parenting. The best the children that grow up the best are not ones that have just dads or just moms. They're ones that have a, an active tension between dads and moms around how much protection, how little protection. Uh, when can my son or daughter climb the tree? If so, they can. if they can climb the tree at a younger age than mom would like, what type of protection do they need when they climb the tree? Do they need dad out there to sort of make sure they don't fall and really hurt themselves? Does dad need to be out there with or without a, um, a cell phone? Um, when we, you know, when we talk about these issues on family dinner night, what makes that family dinner night into a family dinner nightmare? And one of the things that makes that family dinner night into a family dinner nightmare is not having each person in the family be fully listened to, no matter what their opinion, no matter what they say, no matter how they say it. The first job of every family member is to allow each person in the family, children and parents, to feel completely heard by the other one. Now, it is Father's Day in celebration of Father's Day. What can we do as parents, whether it's dad, mom, or to support, obviously, growing children that are healthy? And I know for a lot of us, we're starting out as parents, we're, we're thinking about children, and we want to be the best parents. Maybe we've learned some things from our parents that we don't want to do. How can we show up and, and be better parents? The number one thing that parents can do is um, is learn how to handle personal criticism without becoming defensive. Um, get to, you know, I started teaching couples communication courses around the country because I found that when, uh, you know, d- the boy crisis was oftentimes a phenomenon of divorce. Divorce was a phenomenon of uh, the mother and father not being able to handle uh, criticism without becoming defensive. Therefore, it made it unsafe for their partner to be able to share their real feelings and concerns. And so both sexes felt, both mom and dad felt like they were walking on eggshells. And so that would either lead to a divorce or it would lead to a legal divorce or it would lead to a psychological divorce or it would lead to a minimum security prison marriage, which um, which was which is very sad for everybody, and yeah. so I started teaching that. But it's important not to, I teach it to adults. Uh, it's very important for parents to have that because most of the time children mimic the style of communication that their parents sure. um, that their parents do. That's pretty common sense. But it's also important for us to be teaching that to our first, second, and third grade children, both boys and girls. Uh, so the bully, bullies that see, that, that are picking on a kid, when they see what the feelings and the and the, the real full personality of the child that they're picking on and how that made them feel, 
they stop they stop bullying to a much greater degree when the bully when the bully is listened to as well he or she doesn't feel as insecure and therefore bullies less the bully and the bullied have in common both of them have low self-esteem they have a lot of characteristics in common and as they listen to each other in first second and third grade where this has been done in Denmark, they find that there's a significant reduction in bullying in school and also other dysfunctional behavior. And there's an increase in emotional intelligence uh, that you were talking about before, AJ, as being so crucial, not only to getting along with children, but eventually in you know male-female relationships or in same-sex relationships, uh, emotional intelligence is probably the the most important single skill you can get. And the fact that we're teaching, you know, I, I have learned far more from teaching the couples communication courses than I ever learned, um, even though I was uh, I was good enough at math to be teaching math in the eighth grade, but I haven't learned nearly as much from math as I have from couples communication skills and communication skills. Absolutely. And we, we love to wrap every episode with a challenge for our listeners and with it being Father's Day, we love the exercise you outline in the beginning of your book, inquiring about your dad's glint. Yes. Could you walk our listeners through this exercise so that they could do it as well? I can do a, a mini version of that. Absolutely. So um, if you're listening to this, um, just close your eyes for a moment and just visualize a time in your life when you saw your dad with a glint in his eye. By glint in his eye, I mean he wasn't worried about lecturing you, correcting you, telling what you were doing right or wrong. He didn't seem to be worried about anything. For those few minutes, maybe he was telling a joke he told a, t a dozen times before or a story he told a dozen times because he knew that when he told that story or that joke, he would feel like people would laugh at him and that relaxed him and he knew exactly how to tell it. Or maybe he golfed, or maybe he fished, or maybe he sang in a chorus, or maybe he played a musical instrument, or maybe you didn't ever see that glint in his eye, but you saw it in a picture of your father when he was just on a honeymoon um, with your mom, um, and and the, the glint in his eye you could see in that picture. Maybe you didn't know your dad. So if you didn't know your dad, imagine what might have created the glint in his eye. Compare that with what your father actually did for a living. So if you're saying, well, my father, you know, I, I, he had a glint in his eye when he cooked turkey for Thanksgiving. So he became a chef. So he did for a profession what created the glint in his eye. No, that's not the same. When he was cooking for Thanksgiving, the glint in his eye came because he was cooking for his family. When he was a chef, he was cooking on Thanksgiving and he was away from his family. What you do as a profession, you do what needs to be done. You don't do what creates a glint in the eye. And most of our dads, when our children were, when the children were born, gave up the glint in their eye, the true glint, and did something that, that they liked doing less. So as you look at what dads did, your dad did, to on Father's Day, think about what created the glint in his eye and maybe ask your dad if he's still alive. Dad, what created the glint in your eye and direct him toward helping him discover his own glint. That's the gift you can give your dad on Father's Day. If you want to know more about how to, how to direct that and how to 
how to how to work out what a glint is and how to distinguish that and how to ask that question. Um, so I have a whole section on that, as you know, in the in the boy crisis. And where can our audience find more about the book and everything that you're working on in these fantastic workshops? If you um, if money is an issue, um, then I'd suggest Amazon, which has it at a thirty some odd percent discount. So um, if you're a, a guy or a woman who drives a lot or works out at the gym, it's an audible forum. Uh, it's also now in paperback or hardcover. Um, so Amazon is definitely the least expensive place to get it. Um, if you're if you have a bit more income and you can afford to buy it at a, a local store, support your local bookstore um, uh, for uh, for the Boy Crisis book. And if you want to know more about it, um, you can look at warrenferrell.com. That's my website. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too. You guys are just wonderful. What an episode with Dr. Warren Farrell. Yeah, I've been looking for that for months. I, I recently had finished uh, reading The Boy Crisis, and I was amazed because there's there's so much stuff, there's so much data and research that's gone into that book, but yet no one wants to talk about it. And then he has had a career uh, and and persevering through of carrying this message to get some attention for it. So we can have this conversation and it's been difficult for Warren and, but it's obvious you can tell through this conversation of how important this is to him and how much he cares. And, you know, there's a reason why we, we should be caring well, because uh, yeah. what boys who hurt, hurt us. And there, so this is the reason why we all need to pay attention to this because we all have these young men in our lives who need this direction. And, he even talks about just the importance of having both parents involved yes. and, and that influences both the girls and the boys. Obviously the yes. boy crisis is pressing. And I know for us, you know, anecdotally, we have been on the front line, so to speak yeah. of this crisis, working with clients who come from single parent households who have been protected, mm -hmm. who haven't built the diplomacy, the emotional intelligence through the rough housing and the interaction with strong male role models in their lives. And all of a sudden they're struggling in their career. They're struggling mm -hmm. to make friends. They're struggling in their dating life. All the things we talk about here on the show. Well, we're now at a place where um, uh, health intelligence and emotional intelligence needs to replace hero intelligence. Because as he was saying that we're now at a place where we're looking for the long haul. And I, you know, I even have friends who say, had I known I would have lived this long, I would have treated myself better. Right. It's like health it, intelligence, health intelligence. And as we move forward, you want to be there for your children. As we move forward, you want to be there to, to create this legacy. And then as we move forward, you want to be a positive influence in your community. If we expect society and civilization to continue to advance. Now I know Not we regrets. I know we celebrated Father's Day last weekend, mm -hmm. but reach out to your dad, find out about that glint. What a fantastic challenge to end the episode. Let us know what you enjoyed about the episode. You can send us our thoughts by going to theartofcharm.com slash questions. Where can they email us, Johnny? Yes, you can email us at questions at theartofcharm.com. You can also find us at social media at The Art of Charm. Uh, also, I am there and AJ is there. AJ is there at AJ Harbinger, and I am there at AOC Johnny. Next week, we are really excited to be bringing on the one and only Michael Harrell, oh, coach boy. here at the Art of Charm, who works behind the scenes so hard to prep us for all these amazing guests and interviews and shows. 
He himself has gone through an amazing transformation. We're going to talk about that. He'll be joining us to answer your questions about transformation and personal development. So be sure to tune in next Monday. Well, and also to go along with that, you you know, he heads up our core confidence program. That is amazing. And I'm excited for everyone to get to to experience what we get to to, uh, experience every week. If you can do us a favor here at the Art of Charm and the entire crew, head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast. It would mean the world to us. Five stars. Tell us a little bit about what you love about the show. You can send us your thoughts by heading to theartofcharm.com slash questions. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Chris Olin and Michael Harold. This show is recorded at Cast Media Studios in sunny downtown Hollywood. Engineered by Danny Luber and Bradley Denham. All right, we will catch you next week. Have a great weekend. See you guys.